Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Overheard at the Clubhouse, the sort of sub-brand, the little brother, the basement extension, perhaps, of our Gentleman's Journal podcast proper, where we talk to our favourite writers, contributors, photographers, illustrators, and friends of the magazine about their work in the pages of Gentleman's Journal and beyond. And this is the first in a little series we're doing to celebrate the launch of our summer 2022 issue of the magazine. And I'm looking at the thing now, a beautiful doorstop of a thing, thick enough to cut bread on. I mean, don't do that, but it could. Um, And it's covered, of course, by the wonderful, handsome, wistful-looking Tom Hiddleston, in this case, with some exquisite swimming pool blue eyes and a quite spectacular haircut. Um, But it's also, this issue, got George Ezra in it, Jensen Button, Brian Ferry, Steve Aoki, Sam Hyen, Dave Grutman, Munya Chihuahua, Oli Debu, Thea Fennell and Juan Santa Cruz. And, in fact, Mike Tyson's favourite poolside reads, which is the book club you never knew you wanted. But today we're talking to one of our regular contributors, Ed Cumming, who writes brilliant features for The Telegraph and plenty of other places too. And Ed's written two pieces in the summer issue, all about a couple of thoroughly modern male obsessions, mullets and LinkedIn. So enjoy, and we'll see you on the next one. Ed Cumming, this is a special edition of Overheard at the Clubhouse, our podcast at Gentleman's Journal. And it's special not just because you're here, but also because it's our magazine launch edition. And you've written two lovely pieces on perhaps the most important topics I can imagine, which are mullets and LinkedIn. And I hope by the end we're going to have some Gladwell, Gladwellian theory that links the two in some grand unifying worldview. But we'll find out. Um... But first off, how are you? I'm very well. I'm coming at you live and direct from the Daily Telegraph canteen. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. That's the happy sound of uh, conservative journalists talking about stuff. Could we overhear some scoops, do you think? I think you're very unlikely to overhear a scoop around here today. I mean, it's Wednesday, it's three in the afternoon, it's quite sunny outside, scoops are off. But then that could be a double bluff. There could be more MPs' expenses coming down the line tomorrow. I'd never be able to tell you. Okay, well, we'll find out tomorrow morning. But my first question is, have you ever had a mullet? I was actually thinking about this a lot in the researching of the mullet. Uh, have I ever had a mullet? Because I think one of, one of the things that, that I sort of came to think is that a mullet might be a default kind of haircut. And that if yeah. you don't do anything to your hair, you actually end up with a mullet anyway. You know, and if you look at in the, if you imagine those British museum or whatever, those, not British Museum, whatever. What's an anthropological museum? Maybe a bit uh, early British. Na- natural History? Natural History Museum, yeah. Some, you know, some uh, prehistoric man. That look is very mullety, isn't it? It's very, like, fluffy front, long back, Pat Sharp, kind of Cro-Magnon chic. So if you don't do anything <laughs> to your hair, you end up with a mullet. So maybe in the very early days, I did have a kind of proto-mullet. And the act of getting haircuts is usually just, you know, with removing this mullet. But I don't think, I've never said, I've never consciously had a mullet, no. I've basically had the same haircut since I was about uh, six, I think. So I've never been very experimental. But I admire these men that do. Has it made you want to have a mullet more, your research? Uh, it's made me wish that I was the kind of guy who's cool enough 
young enough, handsome enough, and brave enough to do it, yes. But uh, as I'm none of those things, it has not made me specifically want a mullet, no. Well, but I just get, I actually, I just, I was at, uh, I was at a, f- a music festival in Somerset uh, at the weekend. Uh, and, you know, some of your, some of your readers may have heard of it, but they, uh, they were everywhere there. Everywhere. Yeah. You know, in this under 25 male demographic. And the look seems, you know, it's amazing how these things happen, but the look seems to be kind of Aus- Australian garage employee, you know, outback. Like a guy is like a long t-shirt, he's got a mullet, he's got a can of lager. And that seems to be the look, even among guys who sound like they went to, a, you know, Eton or, or another school. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems kind of incongruous and unlikely, especially when you think about the mullet in popular consciousness as a kind of embarrassing 80s footballer status quo level anachronism and yet now this new generation wears them all the time and in fact of several generations when you spoke to kind of barbers and people who might be in the know what do they give as the reason for this kind of unlikely resurgence it's it's interesting isn't it there are a few kind of competing theories i mean as to the generational divide i think there's now a generation of people who simply don't remember them being uncool and in fact maybe because everyone says they're uncool that becomes a kind of thing that you ought to do if some guy like me in his, you know, what am I, 35, thinks a haircut is irredeemably naff, that's probably a reliable sign for a 20-year-old that you should get one immediately. I mean, but then beyond that, the guys I spoke to, had, there were a few different theories, all of them kind of differently persuasive. Um, this guy Hamish I spoke to, you know, London guy, East London guy, he reckoned it was a post-lockdown thing. And that what had happened in lockdown was that everyone had gone full Cro-Magnon and just let it go... Yeah. Uh, I was going to say Neanderthal, but I think, you know, you tend to get the Neanderthal society writing in if you, if you talk about them. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're much maligned and there's like a whole pressure group, Neanderthal action and stuff. You know, they're actually very intelligent and had close cropped hair and blue eyes and stuff. So I don't want them on my case. But anyway, the, he thought that everyone had grown out their hair so much in lockdown that it was natural then. You looked at this huge you know, Buffon, post-Panny Buffon. And you thought, mm. what can we do here? And, you know, if you just start trimming it, trimming it. Also, I mean, if you're cutting it at home, then, then with just with scissors, then you're likely to tend mullet woods because, you know, you're just, what are you going to do? You're just going to go like that, 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 and then maybe leave the back. Um, so, you know, the natural, a man who doesn't know what he's doing, cutting his hair in the mirror with scissors will end up you know, with a kind of deranged, you know, business at the front and then an unkempt party at the back. So that was one yeah. theory. I thought that was quite, uh, that was quite persuasive. I, uh, there was another guy, a barber in Hackney at Murdoch, you know, this that kind of chain in Hackney. He, they, they, uh, he thought that it was a TikTok thing and he thought that it had actually come directly from Australia. He said that yeah. Aussie rule, these Aussie rules geezers were very into mullets. And they were now, you know, a few of them were very prominent on TikTok. And yeah. he, what he said more broadly that was, I thought, interesting was that TikTok was a very, especially informal social media, that, yeah. you know, compared to, and this is maybe where we might tend towards our unifying theory of LinkedIn and mullets later on. But that TikTok, you know, TikTok wasn't especially, yeah, something about it suited this, this chaotic hairstyle. 
but I don't actually understand really TikTok. I did look at it, but it seems to be people doing sort of witty videos where they play both roles. Yeah. And it just seems exhausting to think about. I think yeah, you have a kind of critical cutoff, don't you, with all of this shit where you sort of stuff, sorry, where you can't really, uh, you can't be bothered to learn it. You can, it's a critical, Nick Hornby has this theory of like a new, mu new music cutoff, right? Where you just are like, I would rather listen to songs I already know yeah. for the rest of my life now until I'm dead. And he identifies that point. And I think I've hit that with social media. I just now I'm, I'm listening to like Oasis and Libertines of social media and now until I'm dead. Uh, and yeah. that's that. It could be worse. I've got, I've got my own um, personal mullet theory, which yeah. maybe has some of that kind of youthful, I don't know, energy or longing for the things of our youth because I've had a mullet a couple of times. Uh, when I was kind of 19, 20, 21, all, I think, at some of the happiest and most, I don't know, responsibility-free periods of my life. And whenever I'm going through a period of stress, you know, when Britney kind of shaved her hair off, I have a, an urge, a genuine urge, to cut myself a mullet again and dye the tip blonde with cheap peroxide from Boots. And I think it's, um, it's all connected. It's like being a grown-up, it hasn't worked for me. I want to be a kind of stupid posh boy 20 year old again who charged around 21st parties and sits on top of marquees i mean i did other things i did a degree at one point but you know what i mean is that not what you're doing now it looks like you still managed to manage to get a fair bit of that in oh a fair bit of the mullet or a fair bit of the marquee sitting you, you sit on the odd marquee do you not i'm sorry i saw I'm you not. sitting on a marquee a few weeks ago i think <laughs> marquees don't support my heft anymore i'm not I'm no longer marquee bearable so for you, for you, it's really a mark. It's a it's a marker of youth, your mullet. And yeah. when you see mullets, you're born back inexorably to this to this halcyon era. Yeah. And now that now that you're burdened with high end lifestyle magazines, yeah, you can never go back to those days. These days have gone forever. What was it that that Ian Wright said about Bukayo Saka? He said, "Burdened with glorious purpose." <laughs> I felt he was talking to me at Euro 2020. <laughs> it's similar, but anyway. Wait. I have the same thing when I when I look at sportsmen. I just I feel incredibly old and depressed and want to just give myself a ridiculous haircut. I don't know. It's all connected. God. Do you, how old are you? Are you? I'm 32. Oh and, come on, you're you're a miss yeah. you're a miss sapling. So there's still time, basically, for me to cut my hair into a mullet. Is what we're saying. There are still footballers older than you playing at a high level. I mean, I'm now at the stage where if a player my age is given a contract. They describe it like this old war horse. Yeah. It's a miracle he can still walk. Been given one last throw of the dice. Get him out there. A few goalies, I think, still there. There's no one at Wimbledon, I don't think. Um, Federer's 36, isn't he? No, Federer's older than that. Yeah, Federer. Federer's, no, Federer's rising 40, but, you know, the man's a miracle. So before we wrap up this mullet bit and this kind of therapy session accidentally, do you, do you think the mullet is here to stay or is it another kind of flash in the pan? I didn't realise that this was actually just a therapy session for you to, to get out your own mullet past, but I'm glad that we helped. Do you commission everything based on that basis? Perhaps that has been my MO for the last five years at Gentleman's Journal. Just things you want to work through. Yeah, a lot of specifically about my father. Just a lot of commissions about him. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. Um, I think we have yet to see peak mullet, I'm afraid. We've got a long way to go. But I also think that as long as the world remains ruled by people that think they're ridiculous, it will still be difficult. 
to have mullet in yeah. certain professional situations. You know, the people who tended to have them were mostly feckless creative types, guys that work in pubs and bars, where they're looking a bit weird is, is still treasured rather than um, yeah. likely to get you uh, fired. So I don't think that, I think we, it's a while before the, you know, CEO of Goldman Sachs is mulleted. Not least because all of those guys seem to be absolutely bald. Which actually brings us on to our next topic of the day. <laughs> the next kind of male status symbol or obsession of the moment, which seems to be LinkedIn profiles and having a very active LinkedIn profile. How did this happen? The LinkedIn became such a big part of our kind of identity and lives. It's a very good question, isn't it? It, it just uh, snuck up on the whole world, I think, LinkedIn. You know, while the rest of us were tweeting and posting on Instagram and on, I guess your dad was still on Facebook or whatever, LinkedIn quietly snuck up on the insides. And then, you know, before you know it, it has its, this huge ecosystem of awful guys posting about their jobs and using weird emojis and, uh, you know, hashtags in inappropriate places and... Yeah, it's funny. I think it was probably over the past five years, really, that I identified that, you know, LinkedIn man has swum into view as a specific genre of person. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I mean, to me, they're absolutely some of the worst people on the internet. Yeah. And I think it's because these LinkedIn guys in, you know, they because of the professional veneer that it has, because it skins everything in this, like, oh, it's my job, it's very respectable, there's not a lot of outright rudeness. So, you know, people get away with some pretty egregious smuggery and deceit. What are the kind of, yeah, the most egregious marks of the LinkedIn man? What are the tactics? Yeah, I mean, the humble brag, that seems to be a key weapon in their arsenal. You know, they would say, I don't know, there's this guy... Is it the state of LinkedIn, one of those accounts that said, you know, why would you, you'd never describe yourself as working in McDonald's on LinkedIn. Mm. You'd say, you know, well, I've been a worker in a multi-billion dollar service business, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And an executive, a fry executive. <laughs> so I think that kind of, yeah, I mean, you know, the, but, but the, uh, the jargon around it is definitely a huge part of it. It's like everything is written in CV terms. Yeah. which means it can be quite hard to work out what people are talking about. And because everyone is trying to puff themselves up, you know, they disguise their actual achievements or lack of it in this bizarre business ease. Uh, yeah. yeah, you don't know what they're saying or who they are. And they're starting to break through into the mainstream now. You know, have you seen this, this guy, Stephen Bartlett? Seems to me to be a kind of, and look, I'm sure he's a very successful guy and nice and he seems very young and I'm, on telly and I'm jealous of him in all sorts of other ways but he uh, you know he seems to me to have kind of broken out of LinkedIn culture and gone mainstream he's like a LinkedIn crossover act uh, <laughs> you know he's on he's on Dragon's Den he's bringing to the mainstream what people have seen on LinkedIn for a long time and I think there's this idea on there that if you assume that you know the habits of billionaires for long enough you will eventually become one, you know, that you'll just manifest it. If you mm. do, if you get up at five and you listen to a business podcast uh, and, you know, maybe drink some kind of meal replacement thing and yeah. and to all of present yourself in this very LinkedIn way, 
I don't know where you're assertive, but you also listen and you're professional. Anyway, eventually that these things will come to you, regardless of whether you've got a good idea or if you've done any actual work other than mucking around on the internet. Um, and that seems to be the, the aim. That it's, um, it's very dishonest, I think, about the amount of time that you waste. At least if you're dicking around on TikTok, you can't pretend like you're climbing some kind of a corporate ladder. Yeah, it's astonishing the um, when you see kind of posts in your feed that have sort of 10, 20, 30,000 likes that kind of say the most banal or basic or uncontroversial thing but presented as if it's some searing piece of kind of counter-thinking. It's often tellingly accompanied by um, emojis of rocket ships or, I don't know, grinning faces, which seems like a kind of a, an odd thing, an oddly infantile way to approach it. Yeah, exactly. If you've raised, you know, $100 million for your startup, you know, I mean, there's obviously some impressive professional activity being reported on this site. But I don't think, you know, it's hard to imagine like Rockefeller using a little uh, rocket emoji, you know, (laughs) or some one of these old time barons is like, oh, I just cornered the cocoa market in the 1904 bicep emoji. (laughs) (laughs) and you know it's probably possible to see this that kind of you know it's a tech thing maybe to an extent where a lot of these guys are very young who become very powerful and and can still behave like children in a way and you know you see this with with musk probably in its highest form (laughs) he just doesn't behave he doesn't behave like corporate titans used to have to behave with you know the good and the bad that comes with that being able to keep behaving like a kid you speak about um a guardian writer called bridget delaney who talks about big lanyard energy which might be (laughs) the defining kind of post-capitalist phrase of our time what does what does she mean by that i think you know big lanyard energy is a really uh, succinct way of describing it and i laughed a lot when i first read that it's this you know it's a it's a conference phrase linkedin is you go to your conference and you sign in and you get given your little lanyard with your name on it and your job title. And then you walk around this room full of all these other people a bit like you. And, you know, LinkedIn is kind of one humongous business conference, isn't it? Written large. It's like a business conference with a billion people at it, all walking around with their little badges on them, telling everyone what they do and how important they are. And the other thing of, you know, that everyone knows about conferences is that while they, uh, you know, promoted as opportunities to further your career and get ahead, they're actually just uh, opportunities for lots of people vaguely in the same industry to be in one place, chat wham, get drunk and shag each other. And, you know, so much so that the speakers are routinely unpaid. You know, yeah. the conferences will just invite you to speak for the privilege of getting to talk, to chat at other people a bit like you. And, you know, chatting unpaid at people a bit like you is also exactly what all these people are doing posting on LinkedIn. So they've, they've somehow harnessed the power of conferences online, except without yeah. of the uh, IRL benefits of going to a nice hotel and and uh, bunking off your actual work for a few days that come with a, with a physical conference. So in short, yeah, big lanyard energy, I thought, summed that all up very nicely. When we kind of hear about the bogeymen of social media, it's often 
Zuckerberg and I don't know Facebook and Instagram giving us kind of false views of the world or distorting our news or it's kind of Twitter being um, a little echo chamber of hell but we don't ever hear really about LinkedIn having produced um, some kind of horrible monster do you think in some ways LinkedIn is is less dangerous than the other ones or is it actually perhaps a kind of quietly more dangerous than the others I couldn't think of a better way to phrase that but you get my question I think probably for the reasons that we spoke about just now, I don't, I don't know if it's bad because I don't think it's created as many wholly new phenomenons. It's just formalized online, all this stuff that's already going on in the world. Like Link, LinkedIn man was already out there. You know, this yeah. the awful guy in your meeting, the guy, you know, at the business dinner, shaking your hand slightly too firmly or, you know, flossing himself dry in a squash court locker room you know he's been out there in the corporate world for a very long time and this is you know just created a forum whereas i think i think the others people behave in ways that they they don't really on in person you know i think people people are abusive onto twitter say in a way that they're not um in real life whereas linkedin i mean one of its mercies if there is one is that in my experience people are not do not tend to be very rude Mm. you know there's not a lot of People just having a pop at you. Um, they're just they're just showing off about themselves. And if, if anything, it's this kind of uh, like false positives. I was yeah. thinking of this example. I you know I checked it one day, and uh, I think I put this in the piece. But it said that my brother had endorsed me for copywriting. <laughs> I was like, oh, journalism. Your brother? My brother is not not a journalist. <laughs> uh, it's kind of sweet, um, sweetly ironic and mocking in a way. Well, I don't know if he was or if he was just sincerely playing the LinkedIn game and being like, well, it's asked, this thing has asked me if I want to endorse Ed Cumming for journalism. And I'm, why don't I? One thing I'd say is that it's as bad as any of them for the deluge of notifications, right? You get, you get so many yeah. if you go onto that thing. It, it really tells you about the most meaningless stuff. Anyway, yeah, my brother has endorsed me for journalism. I mean, if he came over in the pub and said, I endorse you for journalism, you know, I... I'd say something stronger back, but somehow this is okay. Or well, I think he's taking, you know, I think he's taking the mick. Well, congratulations on that endorsement. The thing about it, as you say, is it's LinkedIn men mainly. Why is this just a, a, a kind of majority male concern? It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, it's probably from that corporate world that you know men are still mm. terribly overrepresented in that world, and not only are overrepresented, but um, but, you know, they tend to place more emphasis on showing off and maximising the work that they have done and making sure everyone knows that they've done it and taking credit yeah. for things that maybe they did or didn't do or aren't worthwhile and actually getting yeah. on with doing the work. And uh, and that, 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 I'd say, would pattern onto how people brag about their promotions or fundraisers or the fact that they've managed to read a book for the first time or whatever you know i mean sometimes it feels like people are reading books for the purpose of telling everyone about it i mean i've noticed to myself and this is pure vanity but like it's only if i've written something and i'm especially proud of that i'll go and post it on linkedin and i always feel this pathetic sense of shame it's like what are you doing it's like i've finally done i've finally written something that's worthy of the corporate crowd 
Here we go. You know, Twitter might be interested in my base, you know, this worst kind of off the top of my head toy, but if something something's gone really well, then okay, well I'll, I'll let the serious guys with their lanyards have a look at it. Um pathetic really, isn't it? And that means that they're, they're winning. That's a complete vindication of the LinkedIn way of life. Yeah. Here I am slagging them off. I'm just a hypocrite, basically. <laughs> well, before, before we let you go, Ed, and we can't leave on that note, I wonder if, <laughs> if we've got any closer to our revisionist history, our Malcolm Gladwell, very neat theory that starts in mullets, moves to LinkedIn, but ends in geopolitics or mo- modern masculinity or something like that. Are we closer to it? Uh Something along the lines of men will always find a way to show off, no matter how uncool it is. That's very good. That's brilliant. Okay. Well, Ed, thank you so much. It's been lovely to (laughs) chat to you. I think there's a book in this somewhere. But for now, we'll just say thanks. Thank you. Well, if you enjoyed that episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you'll almost certainly love the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, lucky podcast listeners like you now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com to find out more.